John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again." This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would today take your word, take this gospel, and work in our hearts. Lord, as we come before you as living sacrifices, take the sword of your word and part us and arrange us on the altar that we will be consumed as a sweet-smelling aroma. And in that consecration and in our communion today, we would be renewed. And we will be equipped to go back out into this world to take the glorious gospel of Christ. The light and the hope, the only light and the only hope that man has. Father, we thank you that you have graced us and privileged us to be your people to be the carriers of your presence and the message of the gospel. Father, use us for your glory. Empower us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we are in the middle of a battle. We're in the middle of a war. And I think a lot of the church doesn't realize this. You know, if you were, if you were in a battle, in mortal combat, and your enemy was inflicting wound upon wound upon you, you wouldn't stand there and go, man, what's this blood on me? Oh, why do do I hurt? I wonder what's happening to me. It would be obvious to you that you are in a war, in a battle. But it seems that much of the church doesn't realize this. They're not aware of what's happening. And do you know that our enemy loves it when we live unaware of what's actually happening? Now, we've gone through the I am statements of Jesus. Today, we come to his statement, I am the good shepherd. And we're going to go through these verses, and we're going to talk about the good shepherd. And in talking about the good shepherd, there's there's some characters here. Remember, we kind of identified or defined some terms last time when we went through the statement, I am the door. And here in these verses that we're going to go through here today, we see a shepherd, a good shepherd, 
We see sheep. We see a hireling. And we see wolves. We need to pay attention to all of these characters in the story that Jesus is telling us here because they're very important to rightly understand who they are, who we are, how they fit in the story, how we fit in the story. Prior to verse 11, prior to the statement, I am the good shepherd, Jesus made this statement in John 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The they there is referring to his sheep. Jesus came that his sheep may have life and have it more abundantly. We may ask, how will Jesus provide this abundant life for his sheep? Well, he answers the question in verse 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In considering the question of how this abundant life will be made available, Jesus makes it clear that he is the one who will provide it. Jesus came that they may have life to the full. And the way he will make it available is by giving his own life. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In very simple terms, he defines the good shepherd as the one who gives his life for the sheep. This is important. The ultimate defining factor of the good shepherd is that he gives his life for the sheep. In John 10, verse 12, Jesus goes on and he says, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd... One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. So a contrast is drawn here between a hireling and the good shepherd. A hireling is not the shepherd. So what's a hireling? Not the shepherd. The sheep do not belong to a hireling, and he does not care for them. He seeks the wage in the shade, but when it gets hot, he takes off. A hireling sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. A hireling will not stand his ground and face the wolf to protect the sheep. Instead, the hireling flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. We need to read the Bible with both eyes open and not read the Bible as though we're reading the children's storybook Bible version. This is a violent picture that Jesus presents to us here. When a wolf catches a sheep, he commits deadly, bloody violence against the sheep. This is what happens to a flock when a hireling is responsible for them. Who does the hireling represent? Because everybody, everything here is representative of someone and something. The hireling represents those who are not good shepherds. The hireling represents those who do not care about the sheep, but care only for themselves. This becomes apparent Not when everything is easy and going well, and all I have to do is sit on the hill and watch the sheep eat grass. No, it becomes apparent when the hireling is required to stand and protect the sheep. Instead, he flees to protect himself. He leaves the sheep to the wolves. I fear we have too many wolves parading as shepherds today in the church. The wolf represents false teachers, false prophets, or any who seek to devour the sheep and scatter the flock. Wolves can be flesh and blood, but they are also spirit. The good shepherd stands against the wolf, whether in the flesh or in the spirit, even to the cost of his life. Hirelings in the church today are feeding and protecting themselves at the expense of the life of the sheep, allowing the wolves free range. 
John 10, 13, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So Jesus teaches us that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep because he is the good shepherd. In contrast, the hireling flees. Why? Because he's a hireling. That is who the hireling is, and he does not care for the sheep, but only himself. The hireling does not lay down his life, but flees to preserve his own. Or in the context of our modern American culture, or our modern American church, he flees or he ducks and hides to preserve his own reputation, his own position, his own popularity, avoiding conflict at any cost even the cost of the sheep. The hireling cares more about his own condition than the condition of the sheep. That is why he's called a hireling. A hireling can have the appearance of a shepherd, but it is the care for the sheep at the cost to himself that separates a hireling from the good shepherd. The defining characteristic of the good shepherd is that he gives his life for the sheep. Jesus did just that. He gave his life for his sheep on Calvary's cross. Any shepherd today must be willing to do the same by taking up his cross and following the good shepherd, laying down his life. This is, in fact, what we are all called to do. For we are all sheep under the watchful eye of our good shepherd who is Christ. I am your shepherd, but I also am a sheep of his pasture. You are called, I am called to lay down my life, to take up my cross and follow him. Jesus said if we want to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. The way to the abundant life Christ came to give goes only through the cross. There is no other way. The only way to life is through the cross. And the cross leads to our death. Paul said, I die daily. Jesus says, it's recorded in Luke, that if you desire to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me daily. Take up your cross daily. In other words, die to yourself daily. Now, in the American church of the 21st century, we don't like this kind of preaching. We don't like this kind of language because it's uncomfortable for people. Because we don't like to talk about death. Crosses are only the little jewelry we wear around our neck that's beautiful. Oh, that's a beautiful cross. Really? You know what that represents? It represents a bloody, horrendous death. So if you're going to wear that cross, understand what it actually represents. It's not just some beautiful little piece of jewelry. It represents what you're really saying when you wear that cross is I'm willing to die every day, the most horrendous death possible for the sake of my Savior who went there first before me. I got to preach these messages every once in a while because you need these reminders because we forget because we're just human. The good shepherd knows his sheep, John 10, 14 I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Another defining characteristic of the good shepherd is that he knows his sheep. He not only knows his sheep, but his sheep know him. Jesus said his sheep know his voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. That's John 10, verses 4 and 5. In saying that he knows his sheep, and his sheep know him, Jesus is affirming the truth of his sovereign election of his own sheep. You're his sheep because he chose you to be his sheep. His sheep are the ones that the Father has granted to him. He knows them and they know him. It is for his sheep that Jesus gave his life. He came to give his life that they may have life and life to the full or life more abundant. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep so that his sheep may have life. This is why Jesus laid down his life for us. So that we, in turn, may have life. He knows his sheep and they know him. 
And then in John 10, 15, Jesus says, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the good shepherd not only knows his sheep, but the good shepherd knows and is known by the Father. The good shepherd is known by the Father. Jesus said the Father knows him and that he knows the Father. This is another characteristic of the good shepherd. The intimate knowledge that flows between Jesus and his Father. The sheep entrusted to the good shepherd are the sheep that are granted to him by his Father. This is the very thing Jesus taught his disciples. John chapter 6, verse 65. Jesus said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Let me say that again. No one can come to me unless it has been granted by my Father. The Father knows the Good Shepherd intimately, and the relationship is mutual. Through this mutual, intimate relationship, the Father entrusts the sheep to the care of the Good Shepherd, knowing that he will lay down his life for the sheep. No one can come to Jesus unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Just like Jesus, the good shepherd, a good shepherd, or pastor, or elder, is to know his sheep, and his sheep are to know him. It is in knowing the sheep that the shepherd is known by the sheep, and proper care is provided. This is why God's people are called a flock. And God's overseers or under-shepherds are called pastors. Pastors are to be good shepherds, known by God and willing to lay down their life for the sheep, both figuratively and literally. The good shepherd has sheep we do not yet know. John ten sixteen. The other... And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This statement by Jesus is not unlike his statement recorded in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As in that statement about God loving the world, here... Jesus is making reference of other sheep which are not of this fold. These other sheep are not of the fold of the Jewish nation. They are sheep from every nation in the world. Jesus didn't come just because he loved Israel. Jesus came and the Father sent the Son because the Father loves the world. Jesus is telling the Jews that he will bring in the Gentiles. They will hear his voice and there will be one flock, no longer Jew or Gentile, but one flock made up of the one new man in Christ. Paul writes of this truth in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 verse, through verse 22. You can go read that later on. The two Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2... The two, being Jew and Gentile, are now made one in Christ. That one flock is now under one shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd of the sheep. You and I are walking around people every day. And in regards to many of them, we have no clue if they are sheep the Father has granted to the Son. You don't know that. We can't assume that. We do not make assumptions. We live and we proclaim the gospel through our words and through our works. Jesus inherited the nations, and his church is not a Jewish or a Gentile church, but his church called by his name. That's your identity now. Christ is your identity. You're called by his name. He's given you His name. This is one of the many reasons so many of the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. So many could not tolerate the notion that God would love and save and bless 
all nations while making no distinction. The only distinction now is this, that of a new creation. That's the only distinction. Galatians 6.15, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, or we could say it like this because this is how they would have understood it in Paul's day. For in Christ Jesus, neither Jew nor Gentile avails anything. What avails? A new creation. A new creation. Excuse me. (coughs) It has nothing to do with Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, slave or free, black, brown, white, or yellow. Now, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old is passed away. Jesus was foretelling this truth when he was talking to the Jews about other sheep not of this fold who become one flock with one shepherd. Just as the Jews of Jesus' day did not want to hear the truth, so many today are just as hostile to it. It is ironic that the truth of Jesus' day the Jews railed against was one of inclusion, inclusion of the Gentiles. Today, it is inclusion that men are touting as the pressing issue of our day. The irony is that it is not about inclusion at all. It wasn't about inclusion in Jesus' day. It's not about inclusion in our day. It's actually about exclusion. It is the exclusion of God and His gospel in all in the name of inclusion. If sheep do not have shepherds that can discern the times and the dangers, the sheep will be led astray and they will be scattered to their destruction, if not eternally, then certainly temporally. This is entirely avoidable if shepherds will tend their flocks faithfully and courageously, trusting that the good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd laid down his life to take it again. John 10, 17. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Listen to what Jesus said. I lay down my life that I may take it again. This love of the Father that Jesus speaks of is a picture of his obedience. Jesus did not need to prove his love to the Father by laying down his life. The father was not waiting to see if Jesus was going to lay down his life so that he could love the son. Jesus declares that he lays down his life that he may take it again. Only Jesus had the power to do that. His life was was his to give, and he gave it. He gave it for his sheep. That means he gave it for you, and he gave it for me. He gave it for his sheep that they may in turn have life. We must come to realize the price that was paid for us to have life. But listen, church, even more, we must come to realize the life that is now given to us in Christ. The Father loved the Son because he laid down his life that he may take it again. Christ took up his life again that it would infect the cosmos with the power of his resurrection. This is the warfare we are engaged in right now. Realized or not, it is a fact. It is true. You're in the midst of it whether you know it or not. This is what it means to see his kingdom come and his will be done. It is his life and his light and his power spreading to every corner of the creation driving out and vanquishing the darkness that seeks to consume our world, but it cannot, hear me, church, it cannot consume our world because Christ is victor. Christ is Lord of all. The devil and his dark forces are more aware of this warfare than the church is. I am convinced of that. They revel in the reality that much of the church does not even know there is a war to be waged or a battle to be fought beyond the personal struggles that consume our life. They have masterfully, the forces of darkness that is, they have masterfully 
distracted us with all manner of things, small and great. They magnify the less important to blind us to those things that are most important. That is what demons do. That is what sin in our carnal nature does. It caters to the weakness of our flesh. Magnifying our weakness, we become blind to the strength who is Christ in us. Our besetting sins, our overwhelming lives, our daily responsibilities all contribute to us growing weary and well-doing. We find ourselves compromising in the exact areas the enemy wants us to compromise. We tell ourselves that God is so good and so graceful, and he is, that our indulgence, our compromise, our momentary loss of heart is understandable. But I want you to hear me, church, that is no excuse to indulge ourselves in those things that aid our enemy, whether it be our momentary weakness or our willful sinning. We are not to aid our enemy knowingly or unknowingly. And this is why we need wisdom, and wisdom comes from God. And if you perceive you're lacking wisdom, then James says, ask, and God will give it liberally. And how you're going to know whether you're walking in wisdom or not is whether you're walking according to this word or not. If it's in this word, if it's in the Bible, you don't have to wonder whether it's God's will or not. It is his will. You just have to decide whether you're going to obey his word, his commands, or you're going to obey your flesh and your own desires. Our constant battle is to stay engaged in the fight and to then fight the good fight. It's not good enough for us to say, well, I'm in the fight. No, you are called to fight the good fight, to wage good warfare. Just as our good shepherd, we too are called to lay down our life that we may take it again. The difference for us is that the life we take again is not our own, but it is the life of Christ. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. He bought you with his blood. Stop living your life as if it's yours. It's his. Remember, every time I preach a sermon to you, I have to preach it to myself. So yes, I have to stop living my life like it's mine because my life is not mine. It's his. John chapter 10, verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Jesus is clearly alluding to his death and resurrection. He is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. He came that we might have life to the full, and he accomplished that with his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to the Father. No man could take Jesus' life. Yes, they murdered him, but only because he laid down his life and allowed them to murder him. He laid down his life, but in their minds, they willfully, maliciously murdered him and took his life. Little did they know they could do absolutely nothing to Jesus unless it was his will. No man could take Jesus' life. He laid it down. It was his choice and no others. He had the power to lay it down and he had the power to take it again, and he did. He had the power to take it again because that was the command he received from his Father. We, too, have been commanded to lay down our lives so that we may take it again in Christ through the power of his resurrection. Jesus laid down his life and then took it again in resurrection life in power. It is a power so far beyond our human comprehension. We speak of it, we read about it, we sing about it, but we have no way to fully grasp the power of it. And it's not that you have to. You just have to trust in it. You have to believe in it. And you have to walk in it. The power of the resurrection 
And the life of Christ is so far beyond all that we can ask or think, yet it is ours in Christ. That's the life you have. That's the power you have. As incomprehensible as it is to all of us, it is what Jesus has given to us. It is the life, the abundant life, the full life he speaks of. It's not a life free of conflict. It's not a life free of trial and tribulation, even fiery trials. It's not. It's a life that overcomes every one of those. Not easily, not pleasantly, but it overcomes everything, even death itself. There is no measure for power unleashed, for the power unleashed when Jesus took up his life from death. This is why Paul prays that we come to know, if only dimly, the power that works toward us in Christ. This is why demons tremble at the very mention of his name, because they know his power far better than we do ourselves. And yet we have it. It's been given to us to use against those demonic forces of darkness. This is why we must not fall prey to the lie and the tactic of the enemy that would seek to make us content to believe in a resurrection and a Christ, all the while denying its power through our own powerless life. Even if our words do not, our lives have somehow denied its power. Every time we give place to our flesh, every time we give place to our weakness, every time we make excuses, every time we compromise, every time we think of all the reasons why I don't have to, should not, you go ahead and fill in the blank. Every time we do that, we are denying his power. And we're giving witness not to his power, but to our own powerlessness. Even if our words do not, our lives somehow have denied its power. Even so, even so, church, Christ is building his victorious church. You and I don't have the power to stop Christ in his victory because it's already been won. That is never in question. Never, ever, ever, ever is the victory of Christ in question. It's not. How we walk out that victory, what we do in terms of our warfare and us fighting the good fight, that's perhaps in question, but his victory is never in question. Look around at the church. Look at our culture. Look at life in 21st century America. Yes, even right here in Taylor, Texas. Does it look like there is a church that even begins to grasp the power of the resurrected, victorious Christ? No, it does not. Tiffany just told me, driving to Bastrop, she saw a humongous billboard that said, even Muslims love Jesus. Is that what it said? What did it say? Muslims love Jesus. Call us and ask us about Jesus. There would have been a time that would have been unthinkable. And for some people, it is pretty unthinkable. On Highway 95, going to Bastrop, between Elgin and Bastrop, out in the Piney Woods. You don't think we're in a battle. You better think again. As your pastor, I will include Christ's fellowship in that. My question to you is this. Do you want to grasp the power? Do you hunger for it? If so, then we must do something about it. I'll tell you a good place to begin. We might begin with earnest and fervent prayer guided by his word. Don't pray and give God your wish list. I wish things were different, God. I wish I didn't feel this way. I wish I wasn't sick. I wish, I wish, I wish. I... Stop doing that. That's not effective prayer. That's not fervent prayer. That's you whining to God. Don't whine to God. 
Get in God's word and take this sword and begin to wield it against your enemy who is not flesh and blood, but power and principality, spiritual host of darkness in the heavenly places. If you're just wishing to God, if you're just whining to God, you're not doing spiritual warfare. Get in the word. If you're not in the word, you cannot pray effectively. You cannot I don't care how sincere you are in wishing things were different to God out loud. Stop that. Get in the word. Wield the sword. Say, well, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. Well, that's why you come to church every week, to get equipped. That's why you study your Bible. That's why you come to Bible study. That's why you do all the things that are available. And then on your own, you keep doing that. You keep reading. You keep studying. You keep conforming yourself to this word. You keep learning. It's like anything else. The more you do it, the more proficient you're going to become at it. If you want to learn how to wield a sword, then start wielding it. You, 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 might, you might cut somebody. You might hurt yourself. But you're not going to kill yourself. And the more you do it, you'll become more and more proficient at it. And before you know it, you're doing, actually doing spiritual warfare through your prayers. We must stop giving in to the lesser elements to seek his face and the power of his resurrection. Strive, as Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul was not opining for heaven because he was tired of his life. He wanted to know and experience the power of Christ in his resurrection in order to see his foes. Not of flesh and blood, but the powers and the principalities, the same ones we're fighting against. He wanted to see those foes vanquished. He wanted to see those foes of the spirit realm defeated and rendered powerless in the face of the gospel and in the life of the church. This is what's happening. This is the opposition, the oppression, the depression you feel. We are in the midst of a spiritual war, and we must be ready for the onslaught of opposition. For we deceive ourselves if we do not believe it is already here. It is. Now, I trust in the sovereignty of God. I don't always like what God does. I don't like that my wife has a diagnosis of blood cancer. But I am not so foolish to believe that somehow the enemy got that in while God wasn't looking. God knows what he's doing. I don't understand what he's doing. I don't understand why he does many of what he does. But it's not my place to wonder why. It is my place to do or die. That's it. That's your place, too. The enemy is content to let you dabble in all things Christian as long as you are not touching the power, as long as you do not begin to seek to know and to pray and to know and to work and to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. For when you do, when you know that, when you know the power of his resurrection, when you know the fellowship of his sufferings, When you know that, you will have died to yourself and you will have come alive to the power of God, the power of his resurrection, even in the fellowship of your sufferings. In that moment, you become more dangerous in the spirit realm than you realize. And that's what the enemy doesn't want you to become. That's why he likes to keep you distracted and keep you sidetracked. How do we get there? Lay down your life and take it again in the power of his resurrection. And then lay down your life and take it again. And then lay down your life and take it again. And then lay down your life and take it again. I'm tired of laying down my life, Pastor. Well, lay it down again. And every time you lay it down, pray and ask God for the grace to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And then lay it down again. I know it's not the answer we want. 
We want, we want a better formula. We want something a little more dynamic and pleasing than take up your cross and lay down your life. And then take it up and do it again. But if we keep doing that daily, if you suffer with him, the promise is you will reign with him. Do not grow weary in doing good, for you will reap in due season if you do not lose heart. Do you realize this is what the enemy is doing? The enemy constantly works on God's people, trying to get them to lose heart. You're not special. He's not just doing this to you. He's doing this to everyone. I have the... I have the grace, I'll just call it that because I believe that's what it is. I have the grace to work in eight counties in Central Texas. Not as a pastor, but yet as a pastor. Because they have me work in those eight counties because I am a pastor. Because I bring a spiritual element to those who need it. And I'm telling you, Satan is alive and well. He is working. He is seeking to destroy the body of Christ. And I talk to people and I travel around and I'm like, man, the church is clueless. But here's the good news. God is shaking her from her slumber. That thing that you you wish God would remove from you, that thorn in your flesh, may be the very thing that God is using to shake you from your slumber and to wake you up to the reality that I need to get busy doing spiritual warfare here. The good shepherd divides the sheep. Now, we don't like that. Because surely Jesus didn't come to divide, right? Now, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword to divide father from son, mother from daughter, sister from brother. What is it that divides that? It is the gospel. It is the truth. Do you love the truth? Not everybody does. John 10, 19 and 20, Therefore there was a division again, again, not the first time, but again, among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Here is the opposition railing against Jesus. Here is the accusation. He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him, they said. They said it then. They say it today. They said it about Jesus They're going to say it about you. They're going to say it about me. They're going to say it about Christ Fellowship and any other Christian or pastor or church that will stand and impose the darkness by speaking the truth. Don't let the enemy distract you. This is not the time to fall prey to his tactics. We are in the middle of a spiritual warfare that will in large part determine what kind of world our children and children's children will inherit from us. Look at these babies all over this room. What kind of world will they inherit? Well, guess who's going to largely determine that? You are, adult. You are, mom and dad. Whether you want to believe that or not, it is the truth. What are we teaching our children? You cannot teach them how to endure hardship like a good soldier if you're not doing that yourself. You are not called to endure alone, but in the community that God calls a flock or a family or a body. I mean, there's all kinds of words God uses, and they're all about individual members being brought together as one whole. That's not accidental. God's trying to help us understand something. Our victory in Christ is not in question, but the battle for the manifestation of that victory For this and future generations is. We have lived under the blessings of the gospel in America for centuries. Whether that endures will be determined in no small part by what we do right now in our time. All around us, 
There are those in need of hope, some looking for it, others oblivious to it. You may be the one to show someone the way simply through the silent witness of your life. Well, how does that happen, Pastor? Because you are being watched constantly, not only by the Lord, but by powers and principalities in heavenly places and and we're to give witness to them, witnessing to them the manifold wisdom of God, the Bible says. That's been given to the church. And you are the church. And they're watching. Not only them, but along with your family and friends and neighbors. They see your witness. When they watch your life, what are they seeing? What is your life witnessing about your faith? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. From the pastor down to the pews, what is our life witnessing to those who are watching? And don't don't lie to yourself that no one's watching because there are more people watching than you realize. And there are more eyes, not just human, watching you than you realize. God is so good. He is so merciful. He is not waiting to destroy us But to save us, if we will humble ourselves and pray and repent, he will hear and he will heal our land. That's what he has promised us in his word. But you and I are the linchpin here. We're contingent. We're the contingency. It's not the world. We like to point to the world, but it's not the world. It's the church. It's us. John 10, 21, our last verse. Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Here's the division. At the very same time Jesus was being accused of having a demon being mad, others were able to see and discern that the words and the works of Jesus were not that of a madman with a demon. They weren't even the words or works of an angel. These are the words and the works of God, of the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, and the Lord of all creation. Jesus often brought a division, and you will too if you stand for truth in this crooked and perverse generation. Many Christians, and especially too many pastors, want to duck and hide today. They somehow erroneously believe that neutrality is a viable option. Let me assure you, it is not. Jesus divided the sheep out of necessity. Jesus will not allow his people to live in neutral ground because it doesn't exist. All ground is going to be brought under someone's dominion, either the forces of darkness or the forces of the kingdom. And I'm going to tell you right now, we win. Jesus is victor. So let's get busy and let's take dominion of even that ground that the church wants to believe is neutral because it doesn't exist. Just go ahead and take it. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a social club that's been tasked with giving people their best life yet. I hope you don't have the book. It is an army that has been tasked with conquering the world. We are commanded to command men to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and so be saved. It does not matter if you believe this or not. It is reality. It is truth, rooted in truth. If you are his sheep, then the good shepherd will bring you to the truth. However he must do it, rest assured he will do it. Why? Because he loves you that much. This man who opened the eyes of the blind, this Jesus, this good shepherd, has called other men to be shepherds as well. He is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, who calls common men to shepherd the church of God. The good shepherd calls men. He calls men to shepherd the church of God. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in John 10, 11. Peter refers to him as the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, 4. In these verses of Peter's letter, he is exhorting the elders, instructing them to shepherd the flock of God, serving as overseers. That's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. He tells them in chapter, uh, in verse 3, he says, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That's the exhortation to the shepherds. Peter calls Christ the chief shepherd and the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. As the chief shepherd and the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, Jesus has given gifts to the church, and they're described for us in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. That word pastor in Ephesians 4.11 is a shepherd. That's what the word means. Pastors are shepherds. They are the overseers of Christ's church. Pastors are shepherds and overseers who serve under the chief shepherd and the chief overseer of our souls. The Holy Spirit makes certain men overseers to shepherd or to pastor the church of God. Paul affirms this in his account recorded for us in Acts when he's leaving the Ephesian elders for the last time and giving them a solemn warning. And he says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to pastors, to shepherds, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From Paul's words recorded in Acts 20, 28, we see that the overseers or the bishops or the pastors or the shepherds are tasked by the Holy Spirit to shepherd or to pastor the church of God. Then finally, let us consider the words of the writer of Hebrews concerning those who watch out for your souls. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. We see in these verses that you are to obey those who rule over you. You are to be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. This language would be totally and completely unacceptable, except that it's in the Bible. Even so, it is still unacceptable for many, unpleasant for many, but it is God's word. The leaders you are to be submitted to must give an account to God one day for the rule and oversight of watching out for your souls. That's me. That's your elders. That's your pastors. We all one day will give an account to the Lord for our life and our walk of faith, both inside and outside the church. In one day, as your pastor, as your shepherd, who is made an overseer by the Holy Spirit, one day I will give an account for my own life, my own walk of faith, but I must also, unlike you, give an account for the oversight as your shepherd, as your pastor. And specifically, not just in the church of God, but in Christ Fellowship Church. And that's also true for your other pastor and elder, Caleb and Roland. We must not take that responsibility lightly, nor should you. For we will all give an accounting one day. That is true, not because I say so, but because the Word of God says so. If that makes you uncomfortable, then good. It should, because it makes me uncomfortable. Even though the Scripture encourages us that we should have boldness in the day of judgment, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He did not say, obey the most convenient ones or the ones you like the most and ignore the others. He simply stated, if you love me, keep my commandments. The church, including Christ Fellowship, has too often been more concerned with people's comfort than the responsibility to watch over their souls. If we are serious about the times we live in, listen, to, listen church, if we are serious about the times we live in, 
If we are correctly discerning these dangerous times, we do not have time to waste. We must be busy about the business of the kingdom, the Father's business. We all are called to lay down our lives and take them again. Now is high time for the church to awake, to rise up in his life. Having said that, I encourage you to pray for your shepherds, that they will be faithful and obedient and courageous to do and to speak the truth in love. I can tell you in all sincerity of heart that I love you, that every pastor, every shepherd here, Caleb and Roland, love you and care for you. I can also tell you that we understand that we are in an intense spiritual warfare with people's lives literally on the line. People are walking and living all around us who need the hope that you have found, that I have found in Jesus. Now is the time to walk wisely, for the days are evil. Now is the time to understand what the will of the Lord is. As the Apostle Paul wrote, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Those words were not written to us, but they were certainly written for us. For if there was ever a day in which those words apply, it is today. It is now. You are no longer children of darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat> if you didn't know before, I hope you know that you're in a battle. And your enemy absolutely wants to destroy you. And he will do it in every way possible. Your charge today comes directly from God's word because, quite frankly, there's no better charge I can give you this morning. It's from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That's God's word. And to that end, and with that charge, be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Do not lose heart. Persevere, press in, and pray without ceasing for all the saints and for your shepherds. Pray our mouths be opened boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel that we all may speak boldly as we ought to speak for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let us sing our thanks to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father.
Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with ever, everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you.